All right, so I am going to go to the book of Numbers, chapter 9. And we're going to go from Numbers 9, 1 through 14, and then 2 Chronicles, chapter 30. Um, I don't have any fancy teaching method. I just teach the Bible, usually teach verse by verse. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on each individual verse today. But I'm going to continue my sermon series in the, talking about the Passover, understanding Passover. I have these on my website at ministersnewcovenant.org, and you can all also find the video teachings on YouTube at Ministers of the New Covenant. So Numbers chapter 9, we're going to be talking about what my Bible titles here, the second Passover, or Pesach Sheni in Hebrew. I had a brother tell me to use some Hebrew today to keep him entertained. So Pesach Sheni, the second Passover. The reason I'm talking about this today, it kind of veers off course in um, my Passover series. I'm up to verse 7. I think I finished verses 3 through 6. We actually did have a public gathering last week. I finished verses 3 through 6, and I was going to teach on verses 7 through 12. And then all of this stuff happened in the, the world news, and I consulted some people that I respect because I don't like to just follow a train or just go with what anybody says, but I consulted some some wise counsel and uh, decided that it would be best uh, for our congregation to do its part and um, gather by way of social media rather than publicly. And what that means for us, probably, unless something crazy happens and we're able to do it, um, I also made the decision to keep Passover in the second month. Now, I was sharing that with somebody, and they were like, man, that is news to me. I didn't know that that was allowed or we were able to do that. And that's why I'm going to talk about that today. Um, our congregation usually holds a big congregational Passover. So that means we have anywhere from 50 to, I would probably say we've had 100 or maybe more than 100 for Passover. And my mother and father-in-law have been gracious enough for at least the last 22 years to open their home to Passover. I've been observing Passover since 1998. Um, so we hold a big congregational Passover, and we're going to see that taking place in Numbers 9 and also Second Chronicles 30. I know a lot of people, though, don't have that problem with everything going on because a lot of people that I'm friends with on social media, they are in an area where they don't have a congregation or they don't have a fellowship. And so they never, may have never even been to a, a, a big Passover or a, a big uh, congregational feast at Passover, Pentecost, or Tabernacles. So they don't have that problem. Same thing with an online service like what I'm doing today, which this is our Sabbath day. We observe lunar Sabbaths, by the way, for anybody wondering why we're here on, on a Monday. <laughs> So not knocking anybody that sees it differently, but that's just where we're at. That's what I've been doing for a long time, since the late uh, uh, 1999, early 2000s. Um, uh, but pe people may live in an area where they don't have any fellowship. And so um, shutting down a public gathering or canceling public gatherings and moving to an online gathering is normal for a lot of people uh, nowadays, especially in the Torah community. Um, but it's not normal for us. We are big on the public gathering. Uh, I teach, and I have two other men that I feel that are qualified to teach. They, they help me teach, uh, Brother T.J. Martin and Brother Jerry Kendall. Um, and we are all big on, on the Holy Convocation, on the public gathering. Um, uh, 
we would go so far to say that if you have the ability to do so, and if nothing is hindering you like sickness or travel or something like that, that it's a sin not to meet publicly with your, your family of Yahweh. Uh, Leviticus 23, Hebrews chapter 10 talks about that as well. Um, but we're in a, a different circumstance here for our congregation. And so I decided to move to online meetings through the month of April just to see what happens. I think it's wise. And also, uh, because the first month of the year is upon us, the month of Abib, Exodus 13, 4, Exodus 12, 1 through 2, that's the, that's the month for Pesach, the Passover. How are we going to get together as a congregation for the Passover? Well, I think that it's wise for us to heed the instructions we're going to talk about today in Numbers 9 and 2 Chronicles 30. I think that Yahweh allows us in extreme circumstances to postpone Passover until the second month or the second moon. In all of my years, I started observing Passover in the spring of 1998. In all of my years of observing Passover, I have never once observed Passover in the second moon and postponed the Passover in the first moon. And that's because, if at all possible, you're supposed to do Passover in the first moon. We'll read that here in a second. So this will be my first time. So let me get started before I do too much monologue. <laughs> Numbers 9, verses 1 through 5. If you follow along in your scriptures, I read out of the HCSB. Um, that's my preference, but you can follow along in any translation. In the first month of the second year after their departure from the land of Egypt, Yahweh told Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, the Israelites are to observe the Passover at its appointed time. You must observe it at its appointed time on the 14th day of this month between the evenings. My Bible actually is at twilight. I covered this last week. The Hebrew is Bain Ha Arbayim, which literally means between or betwixt the evenings. You are to observe it according to all its statutes and ordinances. So Moses told the Israelites to observe the Passover, and they observed it in the first month on the 14th day between the evenings in the wilderness of Sinai. The Israelites did everything as Yahweh had commanded Moses. So a couple of things here. One Passover was not postponed until the Israelites entered into Jerusalem. A lot of people think that you can't keep Passover or certain aspects of Passover outside of Jerusalem or Shiloh. Yahweh put his name at Shiloh first and then removed his name there and then placed his name at Jerusalem later. But according to Numbers 9, and if we fast forward to Joshua chapter 5 in the plains of Gilgal, we see that all 40 years of the wilderness wanderings, the Israelites observed the Passover in obedience to Exodus 12. Exodus 12 was the the Passover that kicked off the exodus or the exit out of Egypt. And then in Numbers 9, Yahweh speaks to Moses in the wilderness. This is the second year of the wilderness wanderings that wasn't supposed to take 40 years, but as we see in the book of Numbers, because of unbelief, um, it took 40 years. Yahweh reprimanded the children of Israel. So Passover was kept in the wilderness. Um, at its pointed time is in the first month, on the month of Abib, on the 14th day, between the evenings, or the Septuagint would say toward evening. Um, I covered that in last week's sermon. All the statutes and ordinances, that harkens back to Exodus 12, where Yahweh says don't eat the Passover raw, don't boil it in water, don't break any bone of the lamb while you are sacrificing the lamb and skinning and 
doing that with the lamb. Um, don't carry aught from house to house. So when you observe Passover at a house, the lamb is to remain at that particular house. Not that it, you can't observe Passover at multiple houses. You can. Um, but whatever house you're at, the lamb is to remain at that house. That's in Exodus 12. That's what Numbers 9, 1 through 5 means by all the statutes and the ordinances. Verses 6 through 8. But there were some men who were unclean because of a human corpse or a dead body, some translations say. So they could not observe the Passover on that day. These men came before Moses and Aaron the same day and said to him, We are unclean because of a human corpse. Why should we be excluded from presenting Yahweh's offering at its appointed time with the other Israelites? Moses replied to them, Wait here until I hear what Yahweh commands for you to do. So these men were unclean, meaning unclean ceremonially. They did not get stuck in a ditch or have mud on their boots or anything like that or their sandals. They were unclean ceremonially because of a human corpse. If you flip over in your study time to Numbers 19, Numbers chapter 19 talks about how that one way you can become ceremonially unclean is by means of touching a dead body or even being in a home where someone dies. And there's a seven-day uncleanness period, and there are instructions that you are to abide by in order to be cleansed from that particular uncleanness. I think we're going to see, though, that according to 2 Chronicles 30, the uncleanness here in Numbers 9 does not just apply to unclean by way of a dead body, but any ceremonially unclean, anything that would make somebody ceremonially unclean. So what are you to do? There were some of these men that said, we're unclean. Why are we held back from offering the sacrifice of the Passover? The Pesach offering was commanded to be offered on a certain day, the 14th day of the month of Abib. So it's not like other uncleanness where you might refrain from going to the tabernacle at the time or refrain from going to the stationary temple once Israel dwelt in the promised land. Um, You would refrain and then you could go and offer your sacrifice on another day that you were bringing to conclude your days or time period of of uncleanness. This sacrifice was to be offered on a certain day. And so these men come and they say, what are we going to do? Moses in verse 8 says, wait right here. I'm going to go listen to what Yahweh has to tell me. So Moses has this direct communication with Yahweh, unlike any other prophet that even lived back then. We see a lot of people thinking that they have direct communique with Yahweh today. I listened to a televangelist the other day on a little clip on YouTube say, you know, it's almost like the Lord tells him to tie a shoe or not tie a shoe when he wakes up in the morning. But Yahweh doesn't doesn't have that type of relationship with just anybody. Yahweh doesn't have that relationship with me. Moses had that relationship with Yahweh. If you look at Numbers 12, where Aaron and Miriam um, get reprimanded for uh, speaking against Prophet Moshe. Uh, And then Yahweh says, look, Moses is not like just an ordinary prophet. I speak with him face to face or mouth to mouth. And my similitude he will behold or my form he will see. Uh, So Moses was special. So Moses says, you guys wait here. I'm going to go and see what Yahweh has to say about it. And then Moses goes and speaks to Yahweh. Verses 9 through 12, it says, Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites when any one of you or your descendants is unclean because of a corpse 
or is on a distant journey, he may still observe the Passover to Yahweh, but not in the first month. We'll keep reading in verse 11. Such people are to observe it in the second month, on the 14th day between the evenings. They are to eat the animal with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They may not leave any of it until morning or break any of its bones. They must observe the Passover according to all its statutes. So, uncleanness, which is ceremonial, and then Yahweh also adds on a journey. These are the two reasons given that allow people to keep Passover in the second month rather than the first month. Now, I want you to notice that all the same statutes and the ordinances apply. The timing of the sacrifice is the same. The manner in which the animal, Passover animal, is treated is the same. The only difference is the month. This is why it's called in Hebrew Pesach Sheni or Passover, second, second Passover. Now, the mercy of Yahweh, I put this in my notes today, the mercy of Yahweh is seen here. What we can learn in principle is that Yahweh always gives people another chance when they want to worship Him. He is kind and He is merciful when somebody wants to be devoted to Him. We learn here the principle of second chances. That if we are distant from Yahweh on a journey that we may have taken of our own accord, and we have gotten off track, but we come back to Him in repentance with a penitent heart, seeking to please Him, seeking to be devoted to Him, that Yahweh will accept us when we return to Him. He is a mighty one of another chance. That's what the second Passover teaches us in principle. Yahweh is so gracious and so merciful all through the Old Testament. I know a lot of people think that His grace and His mercy only comes about in the Messiah. But that is just not the case. Um, there is grace and mercy in the Messiah, the ultimate grace and mercy in the Messiah. But Yahweh has always been a gracious, mighty one, always been a merciful, mighty one. Um, and this right here shows it. Yahweh didn't thunder down from heaven and say, no, you can't keep the Passover. Uh, be gone. Now he said these men are in a special circumstance. They've become unclean. So I'm going to allow them to do all the rites and ceremonies that they would have done in the first moon, I'm going to allow them to do it in the second moon. Verses 13 through 14. But the man who is ceremonially clean is not on a journey and yet fails to observe the Passover is to be cut off from his people because he did not present Yahweh's offering at its appointed time. That man will bear the consequences of his sin. If a foreigner resides with you and wants to observe the Passover to Yahweh, he is to do so according to the Passover statute and its ordinances. You are to apply the same statute to both the foreign resident and the native of the land. So, the second Passover is not an excuse for just anyone. And I've actually, I've actually seen this done. I've seen this used as an excuse because someone didn't prepare properly, because someone just wasn't ready. There must be a valid reason. There must be some kind of ceremonial uncleanness or you must be in a journey. You can't just decide that you want to wait to the second month because that's your prerogative. So trust me, um, in all my years of observing Passover, I have never observed it in the second moon. This is going to be my first time doing it and it's because of what I feel are necessary reasons due to the possibility of infecting multiple people in an enclosed setting for several hours. We observe Passover in a house and there is, let's say, a hundred of us in one house 
very close together from about 8 p.m. until 3 a.m. So about seven hours. Um, and then we, we exit outside to uh, continue some of the ordinances that call for uh, or call to be done early in the morning. And so um, we are not individually unclean in this case, but gathering together in such a large group could cause sickness, disease, and it could cause even death for the elderly or the people that are compromised in their immune systems. We have a brother right now that is taking chemotherapy, my dear friend and brother. And so we don't want to possibly cause any infection in him or in the elderly or even in anyone in the congregation. So small groups or private individuals may not have to deal with this issue, uh, but as we will see, uh, Pesach was usually a large gathering. It was usually a large congregation. So also in verse 14, foreigners have to abide by the rules. So when foreigners were all, were allowed to join to the nation of Israel. They're always allowed to join, but they had to follow the same law. Uh, the big one here likely being alluded to is physical circumcision mentioned at the end of Exodus chapter 12, where that if a foreigner wanted to come and keep the Passover with Yahweh's people, he had to be physically circumcised, and all the males in his house had to be physically circumcised if they wanted to eat the Passover animal. Uh, so... Let's move from there to 2 Chronicles chapter 30. Take your Bible and turn to 2 Chronicles. This is a great approved example from which we can learn. I tell people that we not only learn from direct commandments, but we also learn from approved examples. Now, take note here that we don't learn the right thing to do from an example in the Bible. Uh, we have some men, even some men that were good men, but they did wrong things. You know, King David messed up one time. The Apostle Peter denied Christ three times. Okay, So that doesn't teach us what we can do or what we should do, I should say. We learn from approved examples. Cases in Scripture where we see men and women do certain things, perform certain activities, and Yahweh smiles or shines His blessing on that activity. We can learn from approved examples. And that's what we're going to do in 2 Chronicles 30. 2 Chronicles 30 is an inspired commentary on Numbers chapter 9. It's going to give us some more detail. So we're going to go through the whole chapter. not going to comment on every single verse, but we're going to read blocks of verses at a time, and I'll make some comments here on 2 Chronicles 30. Verses 1 through 3. Then Hezekiah sent word throughout all Israel and Judah, and he also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh to come to Yahweh's temple in Jerusalem to observe the Passover of Yahweh, Elohim of Israel. For the king and his officials and the entire congregation in Jerusalem decided to observe the Passover of Yahweh in the second moon or month because they were not able to observe it at the appropriate time, that would have been the first month, since not enough of the priests had consecrated themselves and the people hadn't been gathered together in Jerusalem. So the people weren't congregated and the priest had not consecrated and purified. And we're going to see a lot of the men of Israel had not consecrated and purified. King Hezekiah was a good king. He was one of the best kings that we read about among the kings of Judah and Israel. He reformed the nation of Israel in 
as recorded in Second Chronicles chapter 29. He did a lot of things that were right in the sight of Yahweh that his forefathers had not, not done. They had done that which was evil in the sight of Yahweh. King Hezekiah could have called for a rush on Pesach. He could have rushed it and said, we've got to hurry up, we've got to get it ready. But he knew they were not ready. Everybody wasn't gathered. People had not been consecrated and purified and sanctified. So he didn't rush it. Instead, he postponed it. Didn't cancel it, but he postponed it to the second moon. So order was important. It was good to get things in order prior to performing the festival. Uh, a lot of times uh, people in the Torah community don't understand that. You know, we're going to get to that a little bit further in this chapter, how that Yahweh looks at motive and intention more than details. Um, and that is very important that we understand that. Uh, this passage teaches that in a great way. Verse 3 tells us the priest had not consecrated. Uh, a dead body is not mentioned here. The human corpse law in Numbers 9 is about more than just one uncleanness. It's about any lack of purification. Uh, the Bible teaches in Leviticus, I think it's chapters 12 through 15, about purification, ceremonial purification. And that may sound strange to some people that only go by the New Testament. I understand that. But I believe that there are many cases where when you were going to come before Yahweh on a special day or a special time, uh, you were to remain purified and sanctified ceremonially. Um, you weren't to do anything that was going to cause some kind of fleshly uncleanness. Um, even in the giving of the law in Exodus 19, uh, they were to sanctify themselves for three days um, and get ready for Yahweh to come down into their midst and give them the commandments. So the people had not properly sanctified and purified. We also see that the people were not gathered together in Jerusalem. So this was Jerusalem at that time was the place that Yahweh had put his name. And we see here that Pesach was a huge congregational thing. Hezekiah was going to postpone Pesach because the people hadn't gathered together. Verses 4 through 9. The proposal pleased the king and the congregation. So they affirmed the proposal and spread the message throughout all Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, to come to observe the Passover of Yahweh Elohim of Israel in Jerusalem, where they had not observed it often as prescribed. So the couriers went throughout Israel and Judah with letters from the hand of the king and his officials, and according to the king's command, saying, Israelites, return to Yahweh Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, so that he may return to those of you who remain who have escaped from the grasp of the kings of Assyria. Don't be like your fathers and your brothers who were unfaithful to Yahweh, Elohim of their ancestors, so that he made them an object of horror as you yourselves see. Don't become obstinate now like your fathers did. Give your allegiance to Yahweh and come to his sanctuary that he has consecrated forever. Serve Yahweh, your Elohim, so that he may turn his fierce wrath away from you. For when you return to Yahweh, your brothers and your sons will receive mercy in the presence of their captors and will return to this land. For Yahweh, your Elohim, is gracious and merciful. He will not turn His face away from you if you return to Him. We're just talking about how Yahweh was a mighty one of grace and mercy in the Tanakh, in, in what we call the Old Testament. And He is. This passage teaches us that. 
So the message was sent out. They had runners at that time. You remember that uh, New Testament text that says, how beautiful are the feet of them that bring the, the good news of, of peace. Well, th that's what this is about. Couriers and runners. And if you had been waiting for this message and you saw this runner from afar and he was running fast to get to you. And you would say, how beautiful are the feet of the messenger because you knew if he was running fast that the message was important and it was probably going to be a good message. And that's what these couriers were sent out to do. Um, former kings had done evil in Yahweh's sight. Hezekiah was reforming things. You read in 2 Chronicles 29, he had sanctified the tabernacle. He had brought some offerings, some animal sacrifices and presented them to Yahweh as a gift. And then in 2 Chronicles 30, he's trying to get this second Passover in line because they weren't able to observe it at the appropriate time. He says, return to Yahweh here in verse 6. Return to Yahweh and He will return to you. That reminds me of James 4, 6-10 through 10, where Yahweh resists the proud but He gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to the Almighty and resist the devil and He will flee from you. Draw nigh to the Almighty and He will draw nigh to you. A lot of times people have asked me, Brother Matthew, I don't feel like Yahweh is close in my life right now. And I think that sometimes it can be because you haven't drawn near to Yahweh. You haven't returned to Yahweh. You've put a lot of things in front of service to Him. You have taken time to do other things. And you have forgotten to do the things of Yahweh. Everything in our life should be focused around Yahweh and His instructions, His commandments. Um, that should be why we make all decisions that we make. Um, his ways and His calendar should, should be what we, we uh, place our schedule around. It shouldn't be that when Yahweh's Sabbaths and new moons and feasts come up, that we put them on the back burner to do things that we want to do. But we should conform our calendar to the calendar of Almighty Yahweh. So, if you feel like Yahweh is not near to you or is not close to you at this time, maybe it's because you haven't returned to Him. You haven't drawn near to, to Yahweh. But Yahweh is gracious and merciful and He will forgive those who repent according to verse 9. He will not turn His face away from you if you return to Him. That is a promise that Yahweh has made to, to us. If we turn to Him, if we, we about face on sin, which is the transgression of the law, and we turn to Yahweh, he will be gracious and merciful. It doesn't matter how far you've gotten off the track. It doesn't matter if somebody has told you that you're too far gone. It doesn't matter what sin that you've gotten all tangled up in. If you repent of that sin, which means turn your back on it, get away from it, get it out of your life, ask Yahweh to forgive you, and you turn to Yahweh, Yahweh will be gracious and He'll be merciful to you. And He'll forgive you he is a kind, mighty one. He is a gracious, mighty one. That is the whole message of, of Scripture. That is the gospel message. The good news of the kingdom and the good news of the Messiah is that we can repent and have a relationship with Yahweh 
based upon the kindness and the grace that he showed us through his son, Yeshua the Messiah. Yahweh is a gracious, mighty one. Verses 10 through 12. The couriers traveled from city to city in the land of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun. Listen to this. But the inhabitants laughed at them and mocked them. Let's keep reading. But some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also the hand of Elohim was in Judah to give them one heart to carry out the command of the king and his officials by the word of Yahweh. Anytime, verse 10 shows us that anytime you begin to serve Yahweh seriously, there will be some who laugh and mock. But there will also be some who take you seriously and follow the good example that you are setting. Do you know, no matter how you live, you're setting an example. Parents, you're setting an example for your children. It's either a bad example or a good example. Friend, you're setting an example for your co-workers. Um, you're setting an example when you go out to the grocery store or when you go out to the park, how you conduct yourself in business. You're always setting an example. And when you take Yahweh's law seriously and you decide that you're going to live your life in devotion to Him and me and you're going to guide your home, you're going to guide your wife and your children in the ways of Yahweh, there will be some who laugh and mock. There will be some who say, ah, that guy doesn't know what he's doing, he's crazy. Sisters, the same thing goes with you. When you decide that you're going to devote your life with Yahweh and be a Deborah or a Holda or a J.L., or a, a Ruth, <laughs> there's going to be, be people that laugh and mock. And they're going to say, you know, she thinks she's better than us and, and Miss Goody Two Shoes or what have you. But there'll be some that see that that's not what you're trying to do at all. You're just tired of living the life of a transgressor and you've decided that you're going to walk with Yahweh. And you're going to walk with Him hand in hand. You're going to follow His holy instructions. There'll be some people that humble themselves and they take you seriously. Just as we see here, there were some that laughed and mocked at King Hezekiah's declaration from the couriers. Ah, <laughs> that's a big deal. We've been up here in the northern kingdom doing our own thing. Don't worry, we've got our golden calves. We do the thing that we, we want to do. We're just at liberty. We can serve the Creator any way that we want to serve Him. We're at liberty to do how we want to do. That's not what liberty means, brothers and sisters. Not at all. We're not at liberty to serve Yahweh any way that we want. He has set us free and we're at liberty from sin, from transgression of the law. And we are to be a slave and a servant to the Most High and serve Him the way that He has commanded. And there's mercy in His instructions. None of us serve Him perfectly. Um, I see some people sometimes that think that they, they keep the Torah perfectly. Uh, they look down upon others that don't see things exactly their way. But I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. I'll touch on that here in a moment. Uh, one thing before we carry on, I love how verse 12 says that Elohim was in Judah to give them one heart. That's talking about unity amongst the people. Yahweh placed one heart, Echad. They were unified in what they were doing. Let's read verses 13 through 16. A very large assembly of people was gathered in Jerusalem to observe the festival of unleavened bread in the second month. They proceeded to take away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and they took away the incense altars and threw them into the Kidron Valley. They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and Levites were ashamed, and they consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to Yahweh's temple. 
They stood at their prescribed posts according to the law of Moses, the man of Elohim. The priest sprinkled the blood received from the hand of the Levites. So the second month Passover was underway. The lamb or the lambs, plural, were slaughtered here on the second month, the 14th day between the evenings. The priest and the Levites were ashamed. When we come to worship Yahweh and we know we have not been doing things right, we should not come before him as though all is well. I tell people we should not treat Yahweh as a butler where we pull this lever and he comes and says, what would you have me to do? And we demand things of him. I've heard preachers say that. I, I demand of you, Lord. I, 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 I tell you to do this. That's not how we treat Yahweh. It says that the priests and the Levites were ashamed. Humility. Humility equals humiliated. We are to be humble before Yahweh. He is a great and sovereign king. When we come and make a request of him, we do it upon our face, which is what the word worship means in the Hebrew and the Greek, to get down on your face before the king and ask him to grant the request that you have humbly. Even Yeshua, his own son, prayed do this, but nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And so if Yeshua prayed that way, who are we to think that we should pray any differently? The priests and the Levites were ashamed. We don't demand of Yahweh anything. We need more shame and less boldness. We come before Yahweh as subjects to the great king. Verse 16 says, The priests stood at their prescribed post according to the law of Moses, the man of Elohim. The law of Moses is paramount. Just this week I heard someone say that the law of Moses was God's compromise with the people of Israel. And I just shook my head while I was riding my lawnmower when I was listening to this particular uh, teaching or podcast. Verses like these show that Yahweh's law through his prophet Moses is of great importance. They did things according to the law of Moses, the man of Elohim. Verse 17 says, um, verse 16b, the priest sprinkled the blood received from the hand of the Levites. Verse 17, for there were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves, and so the Levites were in charge of slaughtering the Passover lambs for every unclean person to consecrate to Yahweh. The Levites were in charge here because of the lack of consecration. Normally, the heads of the households sacrificed the Pesach animal. Uh, there are multiple places. I talked about this in my last sermon. There are multiple places in the works of Philo. Philo was a Hebrew. He is a Hebrew historian who lived before, during, and after the time of the Messiah. He records for us how a lot of things were done back then um, in not only Egypt where he lived, but also in Israel and in Jerusalem. And one of the things that Philo talks about is how that on that particular day of the year, Yahweh granted a priesthood to all the heads of the household so that they were the ones that would sacrifice the Passover lamb. Um, I can get those references for anyone that is interested. Verses 18 through 20. For a large number of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun were unclean. Listen to this. Yet they had eaten the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah had interceded for them, saying, May the good Yahweh provide atonement on behalf of whoever sets his whole heart on seeking Elohim, Yahweh Elohim of his ancestors. 
even though not according to the purification rules of the sanctuary. So Yahweh heard Hezekiah and healed the people. This is one of my favorite texts in all of the Bible. Yahweh looks at the heart and the intent and the motive more than he looks at the particulars. I know a lot of people in the Torah community don't like that. But that is what this text teaches. Notice verse 18 carefully. It says, They ate the Passover contrary to what was written. So the people here wanted to obey the law. They were striving to obey the law. They even postponed Passover to the second month. Yet all of the particulars were still not carried out. One, they're in the wrong month because the month that was given in the law was the first month. The second month is allowed, but the first month is preferred. Two, they're still not purified completely, according to verse 18. Many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun were unclean. But Hezekiah the king, which was a righteous man, he prays for the unclean people. And he says to Yahweh that they've set their whole heart to seek the Almighty. He said, may the good Yahweh pardon these men that have come to observe the Passover, even though they're doing some things contrary to what's written in the law. And Yahweh heard the prayer and he healed the people. And that either sounds like Yahweh miraculously cleansed them ceremonially, or either he accepted them as clean due to their motive and intent of heart. Sometimes us Torah observers want to jump all down the throat of other brothers and sisters in the Messiah who we don't think are doing things the right way. And our definition of right is always what we're doing. We always think that we got everything figured out. And listen, I study the Bible every day. And there have been times when I have thought that I was exactly 100% right. And then, lo and behold, I found information that I didn't know about or Yahweh revealed something to me riding down the road or another brother or another sister or a child said something to me and something clicked and I thought, oh my goodness, how could I not see that before? It takes humility to admit that you're wrong. But if you're in a group of people that are truth seekers and they love Yahweh, they're going to love you if you do that. And there's been times I've had to, from the pulpit, say, look, I know we've done things this way, but Brother Matthew thinks upon further examination and study that we ought to do them this way. And uh, praise be to Yahweh, uh, I, I pastor a congregation that is loving and merciful and kind and not judgmental. And so I'm very thankful for that. Um, it's a terrible attitude to have, though, to think that we're always right and everybody else is wrong. I mean, I've seen people do it about how to tie the tassels or you know, um, certain aspects of the dietary law or especially on the timing of the feasts and the new moons and, and the Sabbaths and things like that. And we've got other brothers and sisters over here that they love Yahweh just as much as you do. And they're studying the same scriptures, but they say, you know, I see it just a little bit different. It's not that they don't want to keep the commandment. They want to keep the commandment just like you. But they just see it a little bit different. Now, I would encourage you that if you attend a congregation, a local congregation, um, that you trust the, the leadership, you trust the eldership. If you, if you have placed yourself under the authority of that congregation, then trust that there are men that study the Scriptures and they have your best interest in view. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, go all willy-nilly and anything they say goes. I'm talking about true elders, genuine people that serve Yahweh. Um, 
But at the same time, if they're true and they're genuine, they're open for correction. They're open for further understanding. Uh, that's something we all need to be open to. And if a brother or sister sees something a little bit different, don't think they don't love Yahweh because they don't cross all the T's and dot all the I's in the same way that you do. Uh, trust me, if you are genuinely studying the Scriptures, you will believe different things five years from now than you do now. If you're genuinely studying, now if you're just haphazardly flipping through the Scriptures and taking folks' word for things and not studying, then you'll just remain at ease in Zion and you'll see th everything the exact same way that you always have. That doesn't mean that you're going to change on everything. There are things that I still believe that I was taught when I was a little boy by my Christian parents. And I praise Yahweh for my Christian parents. But it does mean that you're going to make changes because nobody has all of the truth. Nobody has everything perfected. We should be thankful that anyone wants to serve Yahweh even when they don't understand all the particulars. And the odds are that we don't understand all of them either. Yet Yahweh accepts you and me right where we're at. That's because Yahweh, right standing with Yahweh, is based upon grace and mercy and not our performance. Good works will always be there, but our good works are always flawed. They're never perfect. That's why we need Yeshua, the Messiah, who walked perfect in accordance with the Torah. He was the lamb without spot and without blemish. Verses 21 through 22. We've got a few verses left. The Israelites who were present in Jerusalem observed the festival of unleavened bread seven days with great joy, and the Levites and the priests praised Yahweh day after day with loud instruments. Then Hezekiah encouraged all the Levites who performed skillfully before Yahweh. They ate the appointed feast for seven days, sacrificing fellowship offerings and giving thanks to Yahweh Elohim of their ancestors. Now, we're shown here an approved example in Second Chronicles 30 of not only the Passover sacrifice and Passover meal being done in the second moon, but also the entire Feast of Unleavened Bread was done all seven days in the second moon from the 15th day to the 21st day as the law commands. This is an approved example. Yahweh accepted this feast. So this helps us understand that the entire seven days of Unleavened Bread can be observed in the second moon. Numbers 9 doesn't say this specifically, but we have an inspired commentary here, and it is an approved example where Yahweh looked down upon what was being done, and he blessed it, and he was glad that it was being done. It's a, it's a good thing. So it was like when I made the decision the other day for our congregation after getting some wise counsel, for our congregation to observe Passover in the second month, my wife asked, she said, what are we, we going to do about the unleavened bread? Are we going to go ahead and keep it in the first month and just do Passover in the second month? Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong to do. And I may still do that, keeping unleavened bread in the first month. All I'm saying is, is we have an approved example in Second Chronicles 30 where Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread was kept. All seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread was kept in the second month. So we can't turn our face from this approved example that Yahweh was pleased with. Verses 23 through 27 to close us out. The whole congregation decided to observe seven more days. <laughs> so they observed seven days with joy. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, contributed 1,000 bulls and 7,000 sheep for the congregation. Also, the officials contributed 1,000 bulls and 10,000 sheep for the congregation. And many priests consecrated themselves. 
Then the whole assembly of Judah with the priests and Levites, the whole assembly that came from Israel, the foreigners who came from the land of Israel, and those who were living in Judah rejoiced. Such rejoicing had not been seen in Jerusalem since the days of Solomon, son of David, the king of Israel. Then the priests and the Levites stood to bless the people. This is key right here. And Elohim heard their voice, and their prayer came into his holy dwelling place in heaven. So, first thing I want to point out here in verse 23 is that the congregation decided to observe seven additional days. Well, Brother Matthew, we shouldn't add to or subtract from the Torah. Deuteronomy 4, verse 2. People take that verse out of context. Us Torah people take verses out of context too. Don't think that you don't. You do. So Deuteronomy 4, verse 2 is about adding laws or commandments to Yahweh's law or, or pulling away instructions, saying you don't have to abide by certain instructions. Okay. So... All tradition, though, is not bad. If, if there was a tradition, as this was, this was traditional. Okay, This was something that they decided to do because they were having such a good time. They had such a great time for the first seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second moon that they said, let's keep it for seven more days. Let's enjoy this thing. Let's praise Yahweh. Let's eat. Let's drink. Let's be merry. Let's have a good time. Let's rejoice. Let's discuss the Torah. Let's fellowship for seven additional days. As long as a tradition is not exalted to the same level as a commandment, and as long as a tradition does not violate a commandment, then it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Not adding to or subtracting from the Torah means you don't add commandments or take away commandments. None of that was being done here when they decided to observe seven more days. Um, verse 27 reassures us that all of this was accepted by the Almighty because it says that the Almighty heard their voice and their prayer came to His holy dwelling place in the heavens. So, as I conclude, I'm going to close us out with a song today. Um, but as I conclude this teaching, and I really appreciate and I love everybody, I hope everybody in the local congregation has been able to tune in today either by Facebook Live or by our phone ministry. Um, I love everybody and I appreciate you. I miss you so bad. Um, I like to see everybody and um, like to smile at everybody. I like to see you smile at me. And, um, but this year is a peculiar year for us with everything that's going on. I don't understand everything that's going on. I don't claim to. When I made my decision, um, I told my wife, I said, I'm not wise enough to make this this decision. So I, I, can't, I sought out some trusted brothers and sisters. Um, that I knew were wiser than me in regards to the epidemic or a pandemic that is upon us. And out of a love for our neighbor, um, I'm taking heed to that counsel, and I'm listening to a wise multitude of counsel, and I've decided to postpone our congregational Passover to the second month out of a fear, uh, a, a holy fear, out of a fear that we might add to the problem or the infection of the virus by gathering in a large group of people in such a small area or arena. Um, I told my wife today, and I made a Facebook post earlier, about some fear is good. I'm not speaking of panic or extreme fear of evil over Yahweh. Um, how that Yeshua tells us, don't be afraid of the one that can just kill the body, but rather fear the one, speaking of his father, that can destroy both body and soul in Gehenna. Um, so I'm not speaking of fearing things like we fear Yahweh, 
but some fear is good, like um, I have a fear of rattlesnakes or um, a fear of a hot eye on a stove. Not that I'm panicking and I'm shaking in fear, but that I know if I see a rattlesnake, I back up. I don't get closer to him and say, bless the Lord, I'm anointed. I don't have to worry about what that rattlesnake can do to me. Some people actually do say that, by the way. And I don't put my hand on a hot eye where I've been heating the water up for some hot tea and I take it off and I say, I have all the faith that I can move mountains and I put my hand on that hot eye. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to blister my hand. I'm going to get major major degree burns on my hand. So some fear is healthy and some fear is good. Let's pray that all of this passes over us and that through what's happening, people are brought into a relationship with Yahweh. I, I know that a lot of times when turmoil and calamity takes place on the earth, people begin to rethink how they live and rethink how they think. And may they be brought to a relationship with Almighty Yahweh because apart from Yahweh and Yeshua and the commandments, there is no other way to live. Um, 